Hi, this is Pastor Rusty Gunther of First Baptist Church of Blowing Rock. I want to thank you for finding our podcast page. This morning's message is number nine in our Nehemiah series, Repair, Rebuild, and Restore. This morning's message comes from Nehemiah chapter five, and the title of the message is The Call Came From Inside the House. This morning, Nehemiah is going to deal with opposition, diversion, and distractions that didn't come from outside the walls, but from inside, from the very people that he was trying to help and help encourage. Have you ever been put in a situation where someone made a mountain out of a molehill? Something that shouldn't have been a distraction was allowed to become a distraction. Or maybe someone that you thought was a supporter of yours all of a sudden started saying things or doing things that weren't real supportive. Well, this morning we're going to look at how Nehemiah dealt with this very situation. This morning's message was taped on March 17, 2013, and it comes from our early service. I hope you enjoy our service already in progress. Sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art! How great thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art! seated. I want to tell you, you are worshiping when it's your soul that does the singing. I, I, one of my favorite hymns of all times, and just to think that um, then sings my soul, the picture there is that um, it's not me, it's not my lips or my words or my effort, it's my soul that is so overwhelmed with the idea of how great God is that it uh, I can't keep it quiet. It just overflows. I, I love that picture that's painted there. Um, I grew up in the uh, 70s and 80s. You could say that I came of age in the 70s for whatever that might mean. But it, I really grew up in the 70s. I graduated high school in the early 80s. But the 70s were really my time. And during my time in middle school, uh, in the late 70s, horror movies made a comeback. Uh, those of you that are my age, you remember what I'm talking about. There was kind of a revival of horror, horror movies with movies kind of like uh, Friday the 13th and Halloween. Uh, those were the two big ones that came out when I was in um, middle school. And I, I'm not saying that you need to go see those. There's not a whole lot of redeeming value in those. Um, but what they did was they spawned the whole genre to take off. People, uh, it's like there were horror movies every weekend and they were just, uh, you know, a lot of B-rated a lot trying to copy the same pattern and they still do today try to copy the same pattern but Halloween and Friday the 13th were different there was just something different about them I can remember in eighth grade sneaking in to go see Halloween Uh, and I'm not telling you to go sneak in somewhere to a movie theater Um, I there was a girl that I liked and a bunch of friends were sneaking in and and she convinced me to sneak in. it's kind of like Adam and Eve thing she she pulled me in 
to go see Halloween. And I can remember, you know, I was in the movie theater and I'd just gotten to the part where, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been playing the, the finger thing you do when you're on a date, you know, and you put your hand on the out the thing there and you move it back and you put it out there kind of fishing like are we going to hold hands here or not you know I was doing that thing and I just gotten like the finger touched to where I thought I, it's, it's affirmed hold hands time and so I just started holding hands when all of a sudden something happened on the screen where the character Michael jumped out and, and I promise you I, I'm not exaggerating I screamed like a small child and I jumped up out of my seat at the same time uh, my image as a player was ruined from then on I, it, is, it was one of those things but as the horror movies came out, there was one movie in particular that really resonated or really um, scared me more than a lot of others. And uh, it, it was a movie that had a different premise. Uh, the movie was called When a Stranger Calls. Some of you may remember it. They've remade it now. Uh, but the whole premise was that a lady was babysitting, a girl was babysitting, and someone would call on the phone. And she would pick up the phone, and they would say, Have you checked your children lately? And real creepy voice, and, and the babysitter would start to panic, and so she would flip on all the lights, and she went and she locked the doors and checked everything out, and then the call would come again, you know, have you checked the children lately? And I, I have to be honest with you, I can't tell you how many eighth grade girls I scared to death that were babysitting by calling them and saying, have you checked the children lately? When I was a, when I was a junior high, so, uh, but it, it was freaky. And she called the police, and she said, listen, I, I'm going crazy here. I don't know what's going on, and, and you know, it's scaring me to death. And the police said, well, we'll run a, a phone call, uh, Trace, and see where the call's coming from. And, and in the movie, they call her back, and they say, uh, the call is coming from in the house. And, and that just creeped us out. I mean, it just, just that premise that the, the threat to you, that the uh, struggle, that the trouble that you might have is not out there somewhere. It's not in the woods or it's not at a camp or it's not, you know, in, in a, uh, an ocean, but it's inside the house, that it's right there in the place that you think is refuge, right there in the place that you think is safety. And I tell you that story, I walk down memory lane, not so you think about the horror movies, but... So you would understand, that's exactly what Nehemiah is facing in Nehemiah chapter 5. You see, Nehemiah's faced all kinds of things. He's faced a long-distance journey. He's faced trials and tribulations to follow God's vision for his life. Uh, he, he faced discouragement that we studied last week. He, he faced dealing with opposition from outside the walls, those that were uh, making fun of him and, and coming against him and not wanting to see him do what God had called him to do. He, he faced all of these things. but an attack from inside a distraction from those that he considered his family uh, something that if he wasn't careful could destroy all that he wanted to do so if you have a bible look at nehemiah chapter 5 i've given you a couple of verses really the first five on the blue sheet so you can follow along some but I encourage you to read all of it. And we're not going to read all of Nehemiah chapter 5. Uh, this is number 9 in our series, Repair, Rebuild, and Restore. As we have followed Nehemiah's life, if he, is, he has pursued God's vision for his life. He has pursued what God is calling him to do. We, we use Paul's words to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of you. And, and, and he is pursuing to be what God's called him to be. And that relates to you and I as we try to strive to be who God wants us to be. As we strive to be obedient, as we strive to live what God God is calling us to live. 
And many of us have faced the same things that Nehemiah has faced, discouragement and fear and opposition and a mountain too tall for us to ever think we could get around. And many of us have faced what Nehemiah is going to face today. That idea that, that maybe the one opposition you weren't ready for was the person closest to you. It may be opposition that you get from your home or your coworkers or your friends. That, that struggle that you never saw coming. When, when you had a person that you thought was on your team, that was supporting you, that was right there behind you, and all of a sudden they start doing things and saying things that make you think they're against you. So that's what he's facing. Look at Nehemiah chapter 5. Let, let's just find out what's going on, starting in verse 1. Everything's been going good. Understand that. They're, they're back to building. They're, they're back getting things going. And so it's all going good. And it says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous, and in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes and to get grain for the famine. Still others were saying we had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Tax problems, money problems, food problems. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have been subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. They had mortgaged it out. You see, what I, what I understand is, is more times than not, more times than not, visions and dreams and goals and ministries have been destroyed from within than far less have been destroyed from without. More times than not, I have seen people, the greatest discouragement in their life, the greatest struggles in their life have come from the people that are close to them. The people that they deal with on a regular basis. And you see, that's what Nehemiah is facing. Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 25, that a kingdom divided against itself will never stand. And every city and every house divided against itself shall not stand. You see, the devil knows that the one way to destroy the work of the church, the one way to get you discouraged, the one way to get you off track, the one way to keep you from laying hold of that which Christ Jesus laid hold of you, is to distract you, to get you diverted, to get you caught up in something that maybe not even of your own making. See, what you need to understand is all this stuff that they're complaining about, it's been going on for years. Some of it's a big deal, some of it's not such a big deal. But the question for us is, why has it come up now? Why does it come up when everything's going good? Why does it come up when they seem to have the end in focus? Because that's the way the devil works. You see, what happens is when everything seems to be going smooth, when he can't get you from attacking you from out, when he can't get at you from discouraging you and, and scaring you and making our problems seem bigger than what God can handle, then all of a sudden he brings the discouragement from within, from those closest to us. See it happen in churches all the time. Something so minor, uh, something so little, if allowed to fester, will grow and it split churches. I mean, I've seen churches split over the color of carpets, color of curtains, 
You say, well, that's just stupid and crazy. No, what happens is it becomes something small and it becomes a distraction and a diversion so much that it grows. People get mad because they're not allowed to sing or they're not allowed to pray or they're not allowed to do this or they're allowed to do that or someone else was allowed to teach Sunday school and, and they get their feelings hurt and it festers and it simmers and all of a sudden it grows. And I've seen the same thing happen in, in homes between husbands and wives, children and parents. In workplaces, schools, neighborhoods. See, we've all been a part of it. Most of us have seen it happen. Eventually, there comes a time where you wear your feelings on your sleeve and you've had so much that you just can't seem to take it anymore and you want to explode. And usually, the ones you explode on or the ones that you hurt are those closest to you. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us to understand that the greatest threat to Nehemiah in building the wall was not Sanballat and Tobias and Geshem and those people we talked about. It was the people themselves not staying focused on what God had called them to do. You see, what I found is at the heart of almost every problem, dissension is pride, self-gratification, this idea of my way or you getting your way. Or us getting our feelings hurt. See, all of that is rooted in it. And, and, and I've seen so many great friendships break up. I've seen families break up. I've seen friends at school break up. Parents and children's relationships as they've gotten older break up. Churches split over the minorest of things. See, that's what Nehemiah is dealing with. That's what's threatening the wall. It's not outside powers. It's inside feelings. And you see, what I want you to understand is that there, there were problems. Some of these guys did some things wrong. I mean, what they are saying here in chapter 1, I mean, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, is that some people treated some people the wrong way. But instead of dealing with it, they allowed it to fester. They allowed it to internalized other people took up those people's offense and before you knew it it was out of control and they couldn't handle it and instead of talking to one another and trying to strive to find a solution it became the haves and the have-nots and it got worse instead of dealing with it and trying to put God's kingdom first it separated them so what, what was going on what was happening well before Nehemiah got there there was a famine in Jerusalem and the famine had caused crop shortages, and people were hungry. And so what some of them were complaining is, listen, we don't have enough to eat. Here we are on this wall, and we're giving our time, and, and, and we don't have enough to eat. See, here's what I think happened. And Nehemiah uh, doesn't say this. Charles Swindoll, in his book, Hand Me Another Brick, paints this picture. He says, here's probably what was going on. All this stuff had been festering. And they're working on the wall, and here's a guy that makes $5 an hour, and he is giving up that $5 an hour job to be able to build this wall. And he looks down, and he sees this guy that is living on his retirement, or this guy that has money. And it's not costing him anything to, to give his time to the wall. And so he's building, and he's looking down over there, and it's class warfare. He's looking down saying, you know, I'm giving up all this, and I don't even have food to eat. And, and this rich guy, he's not giving up anything. Not only that, but there's some rich guys I've heard that are charging interest. You see, it was against the Jewish law to charge other Jews interest. They called it usury. You could loan somebody something, but you couldn't charge them interest on it. It was being treated as a family. You, you loan somebody, you help those that were in need. And so some of the people were saying, listen, they're charging us interest. And all of a sudden, this began to get angry, and, and they began to point at one another, and it began to grow, and it began to fester. 
And then they begin to cry out. And then someone said, yeah, that's right. And guess what? My taxes are too high. Amen? We can all complain about that today, right? Especially April 15th coming. I can't eat because I'm having to pay all these high taxes. And then another guy over here joins in and he says, yeah, and, and we didn't even have any money to be able to get any food, so we had to send our children as indentured servants, slaves. And all this is just growing and growing and growing. And Nehemiah knew that if he didn't do anything, it was going to keep them from building the wall that God had called them to build. See, they were close to a breakthrough. They were close to getting the job done. And all of a sudden, this morale problem could keep them from doing it. See, some of the people were wrong. Some of them felt wronged. But both groups were in the wrong. Instead of trying to come to a solution, they each went to their own corner and pointed fingers. Couldn't see that things could be better one day. They riled each other up to their own sides have you ever seen that happen you want to see it happen go to middle school middle school is like a microcosm of life uh, you know parents always say you know when you're in middle school kids get mad you know there's a bunch of cliques and kids in school are all in cliques well, you know where they learn cliques they learn cliques from watching their parents okay you, you want to learn how they watch, watch middle school and how they treat each other something so minor and all of a sudden, this group gets on their side, and they start saying, we, you know, they did this, and they did that. And then the other group gets over on this side. No, they did this, and they did that. And, and, and all of a sudden, they're not talking anymore, so there is no place for a solution. See it happening in marriages. See it happening at workplaces. See it happening all over. Nehemiah said, something has to be done. Because, you see, any time our kingdoms Get his kingdom out of the way, it's a problem. So what did Nehemiah do? Well, I want to give you a couple of solutions this morning. Maybe it'll help you, maybe it won't. Maybe you're facing the same thing uh, that Nehemiah was facing. Maybe all of a sudden someone that you thought was on your team is acting like they're against you. Maybe somebody that you thought was in your corner, all of a sudden they're, they're not so much in your corner anymore. Well, how are you supposed to handle it? Well, I want you to see how Nehemiah handled it. Uh, listen, and I'm just going to break some of this down. Listen to verse 6. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Now, if you go and study where it says angry, he was angry for a lot of reasons. First of all, he was angry to find out that there were brothers treating their brothers that were in need the way they were. They were taking advantage. There's probably some price gouging going on. Okay, probably some of those guys, when they saw famine, they said, listen, we'll give you food, but we're going to give you food at this price or this price. And so Nehemiah hears about this, and he gets angry, but he's also angry that this has become a distraction now instead of something to deal with earlier, something that had to be taken care of. Nehemiah thinks they're on the home stretch of seeing what God is going to do. And then all of a sudden, this speed bump gets in the way, and it threatens to become a mountain. Remember, maybe your grandparents or your parents ever said, talk about making a mountain out of a molehill? That's what Nehemiah sees this as, something that shouldn't be a big deal to the whole group, but be handled by those that were wronged, and instead it's becoming a distraction, so it's angry. And then it said, he pondered. Now, now this is the first point. If you take notes, this is point number one. All that was intro, and we're more than halfway done, so don't worry and look at your watch. But take point number one is, is what? He planned. Okay, the word pondered there is planned. 
our first reaction when there is a problem, our first reaction when we have difficulties, our first reaction most of the time is to do what? To want to fix it, right? We want to make it right. We want to get things taken care of. And so we rush off. That's not what Nehemiah did. It says here in this picture that instead of stepping out, Nehemiah took a step back. And we've seen him do time and time again during this study of Nehemiah and his life. He stops, and I believe he prays. I think he took a step back and he took a breath because he, he was angry. He didn't want to allow his emotions to dictate his actions. Let me ask you this. How many times have you messed something up or made something worse because you reacted with your emotions instead of thinking things through and planning what you were going to do? See, it would have been easy for Nehemiah to run in there angry and start pointing fingers at all the different groups and, and rebuking them. But instead, he stopped. He paused, and he began to prepare for what he was going to do. See, you need to understand there's always two sides to the story, two perceptions of what's going on. And so many times in our rush to fix things, our emotions overwhelm us, and instead of fixing things, we make things worse. You know, most of the time, our first reaction, and even our second reaction, is not our best reaction. See, most of the time, the greatest thing we can do when they, someone has hurt us, or someone has wronged us, or we feel like someone is coming against us, or, or we have wronged somebody, is to take a step back and spend time with God and get your heart and your emotions under control. Listen, this is a great idea for disciplining your children. These principles that I'm going to give you all will work when dealing with your kids. Never discipline in anger. Never discipline in emotion. Always take a step back. Take a breath. It's the hardest thing for parents to do. I mean, my, my, if my dad didn't discipline an emotion, then he didn't discipline. Okay? I mean, my dad was like a kettle that was overflowing. And he would walk in the door and explode, and it would explode all over everybody. Okay? I mean, and I'm not saying he was bad or wrong. That's just the way he was taught. And it ended up with all of us kids, whether we did something wrong or not doing something wrong, doing that circle dance with him having a belt and, and chasing us around in a circle, right? And then he would always come back and say, listen, I lost my temper. I'm sorry. You see, the thing to do is to plan ahead of time so that you don't have to come back and so you don't have to deal with the consequences. Take a step back. You come in and things are exploding. You go to work and things are all cornered off. People talking about each other, tearing down what you've been building up. best thing to do is to go into your office and close the door and get the Word of God out and pray and seek God's wisdom on how you can handle it. I love what Nehemiah says here. It says, I pondered in my mind. Abraham Lincoln said, if I had eight hours to chop a tree, I would spend six hours sharpening my axe. Some wisdom there. So Nehemiah said... I pondered it. Let's keep reading. He said, And then I went to the officials and the nobles, and I accused them and told them, You are exacting usury from your own countrymen. The word there in the Hebrew is brothers. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said, As far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to Gentiles. Now you are selling your own brothers only for them to be sold back to us. And it said they kept quiet because they could not find anything wise to say. And then he continued, What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid reproach of our Gentile enemies? 
For I and my brothers and my men are lending people money all the time and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them. And the word there in the Hebrew is restore to them immediately their fields and their vineyards and their olive groves and their houses. And also the interest that you've been charging them. The one hundredth part of the money and the grain and the wine and the oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. There's some great, great principles here. First of all, Nehemiah dealt with the problem. I know most of us in here are non-confrontational. And there are a lot of things that happen to us in our lives, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in the church, that it's just easy to take a step back and to forgive and to forget and to walk away. It's not worth it to make a stink, to fight over. I mean, if you hadn't learned, I've been married 24 years. That was one of the first lessons I learned. Not everything had to be a fight. There were some times I swallowed it, and it wasn't an issue of you getting your way or me getting my way. It was an issue of what's best for this marriage, and I'm going to step back. But there are some times when it threatens what God's doing, when it threatens the kingdom of God, when it hurts other people, that you need to step up difference between the two pray god will always show you the difference it's always a difference between them is this about my kingdom or is this about god's kingdom because if it's about my kingdom most of the time god tells me to shut up but if it's about his kingdom most of the time he says you can't shut up nehemiah knew he had to do something so he responds but did you see did you hear how he responded he didn't attack those guys personally which is what happens to most of us he didn't go and, and, and tell them how bad they were and how much destruction they were causing. No, listen to what he did. Listen to how he said it. First thing he did was he affirmed the relationship. He said, we are brothers. Because you see, what he was wanting them to understand is that they were all a part of the same family. You see, he wanted them to understand that relationships are more important than money. Relationships are more important than power. Relationships are more important than you getting your way or the prestige that you think you'll get. You see, we need to understand that no matter what's going on in our homes or in our schools, that when we are in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or a child and parent or it's in church with other people, that we commit to that relationship. And that those relationships and people are more important than all those other things. See, he put it in perspective. He helped them to understand that you and those people are family. Basically, he was saying we're called to love each other. So when you're disciplining your children, the first thing that you need to do, and this is all side, I do a whole sermon on this, the same principle. When When you're talking... First thing you need to do in discipline is always affirm that you love them. Always affirm that that while you may be disappointed in something they did, you love them. And what they did will not affect that relationship. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying we're a family. See, sometimes we forget that in church. We forget that though we may not get along and, and we may not agree on everything and we may get on each other's nerves, we're a family. And what's important is the relationships that are there and how God has knitted us together. He affirms what they did. The second thing he did is he confronted their action. He didn't confront the people. He didn't say, uh, you are bad. He said, what you did was wrong. What you did was wrong. 
Say when you're disciplining your kids, when you're talking, don't attack the person. Talk about the action. What you did was wrong. What you did hurt me. What you did made me think that you were not supporting me, not encouraging me. And then he appealed to them three ways. He said, first of all, he said, from, from a spiritual standpoint, he said, don't you think this disappoints God? Don't you think this behavior is, you're a believer in Christ. You should be better. Yes, the world treats each other like this. Yes, the world throws stones and steps on each other. But when we love each other and we're a family, we should do better because we love God first. And then he appealed to them from their witness. He said, what do the Gentiles think when they see you acting this way? He said, what kind of witness is it for you to act this way? And then he related to them, which I think is very important. See, he didn't, he didn't justify their actions, but what did he say down there? He said, I'm having to loan out food. I'm having to loan out grain. You see, sometimes when we're talking with those that we have had disagreements with, the best thing to do is for a minute to put ourselves in their shoes. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know the circumstance. Now, all that stuff doesn't justify the action, but it helps us relate to them that we can see where it happened. Nehemiah is saying, listen, I understand you got carried away. See, the best thing for you to do before you attack someone, before you accuse someone, before you go after, is, is to walk in their shoes. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I remember my first year here at the church Sundays I'm in a zone I, 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 I go in and I get here 6.37 and I pray until it's time for church to start and I, This whatever God's given me and I don't know if other preachers are like this but I mean it's, it's just like it's yearning to come out and so I get like these blinders and one Sunday and, and I'm not making excuses and, and, but one Sunday I was coming out that first Sunday and I was, came out of my office walked down the hall and someone was in the hall they got mad because I didn't say hi to them and they made it a big deal. They threatened to leave the church. I didn't say hi to them. Now, most of the time on Sunday, I wouldn't remember people that I didn't say hi to or who I encountered and all that kind of stuff. Most of the time, by Sunday afternoon, everything that happened Sunday morning is a blur to me emotionally. But I specifically remembered this time because I just left my office because I had a mother and two kids that came in crying because their, her husband had left Saturday night. said, the marriage is over. I'm walking away. And she showed up for church no answers and we went in my office and she got here early and and it just killed me broke my heart and i remember leaving the church office to go find one of our deacons our lady deacons to come in and visit with her and pray with her because i had to come to church and that doesn't justify me not saying hi and then getting mad but what i want you to understand is that you don't know what's going on you don't know what's happening in the circumstance of the situation. So it's best, like Nehemiah, to step back and to gain some understanding. So he said, I know what you did, and what you did was wrong. And the people joined in because he didn't accuse them, because he didn't, he didn't attack them personally. The people said, you're right. And then the key to our whole study, he said, now I want you to restore to them what, what you took. See, the whole goal of all this is not just to be heard whole goal of all of this is not just to get your way. It's for restoration. 
See, what Nehemiah's goal was not for the rich people to leave or the, the other people, the working class people, to take charge. What he wanted was for them to be able to come back together to be the body that he had created them to be. And so he said, what we're going to try to do is to restore the relationship. And so he pursued restoration. Make it right. Came to a fair agreement and they all agreed. See, anytime someone has something against you or you have something against someone, the goal should always be restoration. The goal should always be the coming together. See, he paused and he had a plan. He responded. And the response was to restore. Then I want you to see, it all came together. Everybody worked it out. And then look what happens, what he does in verse 12 and 13. Listen to this. It says, Then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe, he gave a visual aid, and said, In this way may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. You know what he was saying? saying, you guys have lost focus. Yes, you were wronged. You should have handled it differently instead of standing on the wall complaining, getting everybody else to start complaining. You guys are wrong. You shouldn't have taken interest. He said, but do you understand what God does when you get in the way of what he wants to do? It says he will shake you out. He will remove you. Now, that sounds like a threat, doesn't it? Charles Stanley said he preached this in or Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll said he preached this in his church and had people come up after him and said, Preacher, you made it sound like you were threatening us. He said, I'm not threatening you. It's the word of God. He said, It's a dangerous place to get in the way of God's complete work. It's a dangerous place to stand in the way of where God is taking his people. It's a dangerous place to treat others that you're supposed to love wrongly. Said God said he'll shake you out. See, guys, here's the thing. We forget that even though we disagree sometimes, we're still supposed to treat each other with love. So that's what Nehemiah was getting at. It's what he was reminding them. When you love somebody, this is how you're supposed to treat them. And when you don't, or if you're wronged, you gotta let love be the force that brings you back together. John and his gospel is so overwhelmed that it's called the love gospel. That when he writes his first letter, 1 John is what we know it as. The whole letter is nothing but a warning. You better love. You see, we lose track of that. That people are what's important. And loving each other is what binds us together. You know, the apostle Paul was writing to a troubled and messed up church in Corinth. They were having division, they were fighting, they were arguing. And in the middle of talking about unity and spiritual gifts and the body, he takes a break and writes a chapter that we've come to know as uh, some kind of romantic chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But you know that chapter was not written for a man and a woman. It wasn't written for weddings. It works great at weddings. I use it at weddings all the time. It wasn't written about a romantic love. Do you know what that chapter was written about? How Christians are supposed to treat each other. How Christians are supposed to treat each other. I want to read some of it, and and then I'm done, but I just want you to hear. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible and, and see if this makes sense. Love never gives up. 
Love cares more for others than for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. Always in saying me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep a record of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others are hurting. It takes pleasure in the truth. It puts up with anything. It trusts God always. It always looks for the best. It never looks back. It goes to the end. Love never dies. See, if I think if in our marriages and in our relationships and in the way we treat each other in the body of Christ, if we remembered that, think of all the problems we wouldn't have. Jesus reminded of us. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also love your neighbor as yourself. What did Nehemiah say in Nehemiah chapter 5? When people around you come against you, when those closest to you turn against you, when those closest around you hurt you, love, love, love. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me just ask you this. I want you to think through what Nehemiah was saying. Maybe someone has wronged you recently. Or maybe you've wronged somebody. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody in this room. The question is, can you forgive them? Can you be willing to move to restoration this morning? They may not even be here. They may live far away. Can you forgive them? Maybe somebody in here, you've taken up someone else's offense. And it's stolen your joy. It's kept you from worshiping it's become bitterness in your heart let me just ask you can you let it go this morning can you let it go maybe you handled a situation wrong and it's brought division in the home or at work or at church maybe you need to go and ask for forgiveness maybe you just need to commit yourself to loving this morning I don't know what God wants to do but I believe restoration is available It's what Nehemiah was trying to do, to bring the brokenhearted together, to bring the hurting together, to bring the family together. Maybe this morning you just want to come and pray and the altars will be open. Just pray, God, make me an instrument of restoration. My family needs it. My marriage needs it. Restoration in this community, restoration in the divisions that we've seen, restoration in my workplace, restoration for people's relationships, restoration in the church. Maybe you just need to commit that. Father, you do your work. God, I know you've put a call on our lives to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus lays hold of us. And so many of us have gotten distracted, and the distraction wasn't something out there in the world. It, it came from inside the house. Someone we thought we could trust. God, this morning, let us let that go. Let us move towards your will, towards your vision, towards your calling. Father, there's a lost and dying world, and love is the only answer that breaks hearts. Break our hearts this morning. In your name, amen. We're going to close with a song. And, and as I said, whatever God wants to do in your life, you, you just need to be obedient. Maybe you just want to pray. Maybe you want to pray where you are. But I know God's working. And where God brings conviction, 
Some of you say, Pastor, that, man, that hit me. Listen, it hit me all week. But the beautiful part for a Christ follower is where God brings conviction, it's because he wants to bring restoration. Wants to put that which is broken back together again. Hearts, souls, spirits, relationships. Are you willing to do what he's called you to do? Mighty is his power. You say, I can't. No, you can't. But with God, with Christ, you can. You stand as we worship. Sing it with me. What can take a dying man? What can take a dying man? Raise him up to life again. What can heal a wounded soul? What can make us white as snow? What can feel the emptiness? What can mend our brokenness? Brokenness. And mighty, awesome, wonderful is a holy cross. And where the Lift us from the fall, mighty is the power of the cross. What restores our faith?